All right, here we go. Let's do this. We are starting a new series today, a series called Next Steps. And really, this, this series is all about discipleship. You say, well, what's discipleship? Discipleship is just one of those fancy words that really means how do we grow in our relationship with Jesus? Because every one of us, every one of us, we've got to take steps to grow. I mean, I think about Mike. I think about what Mike's been going through. If Mike is not taking next steps to getting better, what's happening is he's taking steps to get worse. And so as we're praying for, for, for the next steps that Mike would be able to continue to get better, we realize that if there isn't any steps moving forward, that typically you don't stay in the same place very long. He's falling back. And so, in fact, as we think about this idea of next steps, there's this really great story about this really handsome pastor. He's really a uh, captivating preacher. This pastor is just a really awesome guy. You guys should meet him. He's a really good guy. And there's a story where he preached his heart out and he just went after it, you know, and just preached his heart out. He gave this heartfelt invitation, you know, and just really laid it out there. And he said, amen. And he started walking off stage and, and he missed a step. And he cracked the steps, in fact, and, and stumbled and fell down and kind of looked like a fool. And somehow the worship team kept on singing. They didn't miss a, miss a beat. You know, I don't know if any of you guys know this guy or have ever heard this story. But your next step is important. If you miss the next step, it can lead to fun times, right? Fun times, fun jokes years later. And so as we, as we look at this idea of, of next steps, this is really a way for us as Restoration Churches. How do we define discipleship? How do we define discipleship? Because one of the things you'll understand is discipleship is, is not linear. You wish, you wish it was like really easy. Like if you do this, you do this, then you do this, then everything's gravy and everything's perfect. But that's not the way that discipleship works. It's hard to put it into a single curriculum that says everybody's going to do this and everybody's going to be just happy. Everybody, every one of us in our faith, we grow at our own pace. We have to take our own path. We take our own steps. But the question is, is still, how do we do this? How do we, how do we encourage as a church to, to, to take these steps to continue in that path of discipleship? And so as we've been questioning that as a church, we came up with something called the four calls, four specific calls. You'll see them up here. Uh, you've, got a, you've got a call to Christ. You've got a call to commitment. You've got a call to maturity and a call to go. And within these specific calls, we've identified nine or ten specific next steps to help us accomplish those things. So, for example, call to Christ. There's a step that we take in call to Christ to help us take that step and, and be at that point where we have that foundation of, of that call to Christ. Then you look at call to commitment, and there's a couple of steps that we can take to show our commitment. And then call to maturity, a couple steps we can take to our maturity, then a call to go. Obviously, there's steps to that. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at these four calls. Uh, we're going to look at specifically what our next steps are and how we can identify next steps in our discipleship. The goal is as we flush these out over the next several weeks, that we'll be able to kind of look and look and say, what does discipleship look like? Because it's one of these words that, that, that churches and, and Christians we talk about, but it's just so hard to put any uh, meat to it. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're going to try and put, um, uh, put, put some meat to it so we can put a picture as to what does discipleship look like. And so hopefully each one of us, we can look and we can find a specific next step for ourselves to take. Uh, see, what we want is well, every one of us, 
whether you're a new Christian, whether you have been a Christian for a long time, every one of us should find a next step that we need to take. Because the problem is, is if we aren't taking steps, if we aren't intentionally seeking after our own discipleship, what happens is you begin to go backwards. Because if you're not moving forward, not often do you just stay in the same space. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. So we want to encourage people to figure out, hey, where are you at in your relationship with Christ? And how can we encourage you to take your next step where you can continue pursuing growth and maturity in Jesus? So today, today we're going to look at the very first step. It's called call to Christ. And it becomes, it becomes a foundation for every other step. This call to Christ. This call to Christ is what every other step is built upon. This is the necessary foundation for us to grow. And so we're going to look at this. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 1 today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 1. Uh, we encourage you, if you need a Bible, if you just want to slip your hand up, uh, Mr. Herring in the back would be able, love to be able to come and bring one, one of these to you. If you need a Bible, just put your hand up. Uh, John chapter 1, that is the, uh, in the second half of your book. If you have one of these Bibles, uh, we are on page 887. John chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 35 to uh, 51. Or you can follow along on the screen as well. Let's go ahead and read these together. It says this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was in the, about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed was Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. And Philip, who was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip, Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. And that is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, we're thankful that we have an opportunity to open up your word that God, when we open up your word, that we hear your word to us. This isn't just a pastor talking to us about what he thinks. But God, this is you speaking directly to every one of us. 
So God, I'm so thankful for the opportunity and I pray, God, that you would put the distractions out of our mind, that you would speak clearly to every one of us. God, you know what this last week looked like. You know where we are in our faith and you know exactly what it is that we need to hear today. So God, I pray that you would help us to put the distractions out of our mind, that you would speak loudly and clearly to every one of us. God, I pray for myself. I pray that you help me to step out of the way, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that it's your voice that would be heard today. God, we love you, we praise you, and we ask for your blessing on our time together. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so this story starts out with a guy by the name of John the Baptist. You might say, well, who, who is John the Baptist? A few things that we know about John the Baptist. He was Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist was a, uh, was a prophet. In fact, in verse 23, it says that John is the voice of, not the voice on TV, but John is the voice crying out in the wilderness to make way for the Lord. He's the forerunner to the Messiah. Essentially, he's kind of like Paul Revere. I mean, most of us know the story of Paul Revere, right? Paul Revere rode on his horse into Boston, and what did he yell? He said, The British are coming! The British are coming! So Paul Revere, what he was doing is he was kind of sharing good news with the people in Boston. Now, most of the time, you're like, the British are coming. That doesn't sound like good news. But what Paul Revere was doing is he was warning the people, hey, the British are coming. We need to be ready. We need to be ready so we aren't caught off guard. That was good news. So John the Baptist is kind of like Paul Revere, except instead of John the Baptist yelling and saying, the British are coming, he's saying something better. He's saying the Messiah, the Messiah, he's coming. Jesus, the Lamb of God, he's coming. Be ready for him. And so John, he's hanging out with a couple of his disciples, a couple of his followers. And this is what it says in verse 36 and 37. It says that John looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Now see, there's a principle here that is just one of my favorite principles throughout all of Scripture. Becomes, has become my own personal life statement. And, and you've got to understand that John the Baptist, he's, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. And what he's done is he's created some followers. He's got people that are following him, that are his disciples. He's teaching them. He's teaching them the message of God. And that's what a prophet is supposed to do, right? A prophet should have a following. He should have followers. He should have disciples that follow after him. And so, and so John the Baptist, he's got these disciples. He's got people who are following him. He's got people who are learning from him. And he's going about his business. And he's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. But at this point, he stops. He stops in his track. And he proclaims to his followers. He says, behold. He says, look, guys. That right there, that is the Lamb of God. He's the one that I've been talking about. And right then, his followers... His, his, his people that validate his ministry, his people that, that, that pay his bills, they now leave John and begin to follow Jesus. Now, what's the principle here? The principle is this. John's ministry, John's job, his, his, his life as a prophet, it wasn't about him. His, his life was not about him. This principle is so important for us to understand because life is not about us. Life is not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Restoration Church. Our lives are all about Jesus. 
See, John, John's not concerned about building his own little empire. He's not concerned about having the biggest church in, in, in town. He's not concerned about, about being the most downloaded prophet in the, whole, in, in the whole region. He's not concerned about having the largest following that, that, that is his disciple. He's all concerned about Jesus. His ministry, everything he has been done has been about this Lamb of God, this Jesus who is coming. And so, and so he's not trying to hoard his followers and to keep them for himself. He's trying to say, look, guys, this right here, this is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been talking about. He's the one I've been pointing you to. This is the Lamb of God. Whatever the idea here is that voice, the voice, the voice can never become the Lamb. John was the voice. He was the voice in the wilderness crying and warning people and telling the Messiah is coming. He wasn't the lamb. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about his ministry. It wasn't about his teaching. It was always about Jesus, the true lamb of God. See, whatever calling God has placed in your life, wherever God has placed you in your work, in your career, in your family, in the community, it's not about you. God has not placed you those in those places so you can build your own little dynasty. So it can be all about you. Whether you are a teacher in the schools, whether you own your own business, whether you are a mother with all these little kids uh, following after you, whether you work with your hands, God hasn't placed you there so you can build your own little fortune so that you can rest and have it easy. God has placed you there so you could be a voice Living for someone other than yourself. So let me tell you how this plays out at Restoration Church. This church, this church, it's not about any of us. This church is not about me. It's not about you. This church is not dependent on any one of us. And this includes myself. This church is not about a building it's not about anything like this. This church is like John the Baptist. We're a voice in the wilderness pointing people to Jesus Christ. Pointing people to the Lamb of God. This is why we exist. Not to build our own little dynasty and to be the most uh, efficient and good-looking church in town. No, we're here to point people to Jesus Christ. To see people's lives changed by Jesus. Not to make ourselves great but to make the name of Jesus great. That is why we exist. So the first principle that we have to understand is it's not about us. Life is not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. So we see John the Baptist, he releases his two disciples and they start following after Jesus. And Jesus has this little interaction with them. Verse 38 says, Jesus turned and he saw the disciples following him. And he said to them, what are you seeking? Have you ever noticed that Jesus always just knows the right thing to say? He always just has the right question. It's not, hey, why are you following me? But it's, what are you seeking? And, 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 and the teacher, and the disciples, they respond. They respond and said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? See, this question is more than just a question about lodging. When, when Jesus asked them, what are you seeking in life? They realized, hey, this isn't just a quick answer. 
They realized this isn't a quick conversation. They knew that if Jesus is really the Lamb of God, that they needed to have the opportunity to get to know him. They wanted to ask questions. They wanted to ask and discover the source of his teaching. They wanted to discover God's mind and his purpose. And so look what Jesus says to them next. Verse 39. Jesus said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. See, the invitation that Jesus just gave to these disciples was to come and consider him. Was to come and come and see. Come and see where I'm staying. Come and see the motivation behind why I'm here. Come and see what I'm about. In fact, if you fast forward a few verses, starting in verse 43, you'll see another interaction. Jesus calls a dude by the name of uh, Philip. He says, hey, come and follow me. And so Philip says, all right, I'll follow you, Jesus. And, and Philip, in return, he goes and he finds his friend Nathaniel. And he says, hey, Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah. We have found the one that the Old Testament is writing about. We have found the one that we've been waiting for ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. We have found the Messiah. You've got to come and check him out. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel's a little bit skeptical. He's like, Nazareth? Where Jesus is from, it's kind of like, it's kind of like maybe like Wiley City. You know, it's just like not like the, the, the classiest city in the region, you know. Just one of those places. If you're from Wiley City, I'm sorry, it's not a knock against you. It's just trying to put a picture to it. And so Nathaniel, who's from Bethsaida, he says, he knows Nazareth. And he says, man, nothing can come good out of Nazareth. Now, let me, let me point it like this. How many of you are Seahawk fans? Oh. I knew there'd be some Christians in here today. Yes, how many of you? So, so good thing there's a lot of us in here today. How many of you, now, how many of you Hawk fans? Okay, how many of you Hawk fans? Let me ask you this. Can anything good come out of San Francisco? Uh, that's what we're talking about, right? Right? All right, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. God, God loves all football fans, whether you're from Seattle or San Francisco, wherever you're at. But you kind of get that idea where, where Nathaniel's from Bethsaida. And, you know, that's his place. That's his people. And Nazareth is kind of like the rival. And they're like, man, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. And so, and so you get the point of what he's trying to say. And so look what Philip says to him in verse 40, 46. He says, Philip said to him, come and see. Come, check it out. Come and see this man, Jesus. This statement is almost the exact one that Jesus had told John's disciples just a little bit before. Come and see. Come and consider. Consider who Jesus is. Come, investigate. Come and find out. So let me show you this little example. This is a, a cutie. Anybody ever get, get these from Costco? All right, my wife and I, our family, we love these little cuties. You get them from Costco, they're a pretty good deal. They're actually probably healthier than a lot of the things you buy from Costco, right? And so, the thing with these cuties is sometimes these cuties are, are just perfect and great. But sometimes these cuties can be a little sour. Little sour clementines, you know? And so, if I'm going to eat this one right here, question for you is, is this one of the sour ones or not? How would you know? Can you know this is one of the sour? That was actually really good. Man, that one. <laughs> Snack time. I didn't know we did this in church. Um, how do you know if this is a sour one? You don't know, do you? Why? Because you haven't tasted it. 
You haven't come and tasted it. I mean, if, if I gave you a piece of this, you'd be able to taste it and say, yeah, that's one of the good ones. It's really good. It's really juicy, and it's just in the right season. And it, I'm sorry, I'm probably describing that too good. But, but if you could come and taste it, you would know exactly what this was like, and you would know if this is one of the good ones or if it's one of the sour ones. See, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, come and see, come. The King David in the Psalms, he wrote in Psalm 34, verse 8, he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, come and see, come and consider me, come and investigate, come and see for yourself. See, Jesus knew what these disciples needed. They didn't need information. They didn't need a bunch of information. They needed relationship. They needed a relationship. And so what Jesus does is he accepts them into the fellowship of his life and into his teaching. And he allows them to come and be a part of who he is, to come where he's staying, and to come and see and discover if Jesus really is the answer. If Jesus really is the Messiah, if Jesus really is the one who could change their lives. See, Jesus wasn't concerned whether or not these disciples had their lives all put together. He wasn't concerned if they had the, the perfect doctrine, if they could, could tell you all the, the thesis statements about faith. He wasn't concerned about that. Jesus said, come and see. Come and you will see that I am the Messiah. Come and you will see that I am the one who, who you've been waiting for. That I am the answer. In fact, this idea of come and see, you see it throughout scripture in, in other places as well. This same offer of come and see was made to the shepherds who were on the hills outside of Jerusalem 30 years before the story happened. The, the shepherds who are out tending their sheep, doing what shepherds do. The angel comes to them in Luke chapter 2 and says, Come and see the child born to be your savior. And, and three years after this story happened, 33 years after Jesus was born, two women named Mary, they, they went to the tomb of Jesus. And an angel met them outside of the tomb. And the angel said in Matthew chapter 28 verse 6, he says, He is not here. He has risen just as he said. The angel says, come and see the place where he lay. Come and see. So the call, the call to these disciples is come and see. Come and experience me for yourself. Come and see if I am, if Jesus really is the answer. And there's a couple of principles that as a church, we've got to understand about this idea to come and see. First, this is how the church should be. The church should be a place where people can come and see. It should be a safe place where people can come and investigate. Hey, is Jesus really the answer? Can I really give my life to Jesus and have it matter? Can Jesus really change my life? This is the kind of place that a church should be. It should be a safe place. A place where you don't have to have it all figured out. A place where you can wrestle with the truth about Jesus. With the truth about God. A place where you can ask questions and determine if Jesus really is the answer. This means that as a church, as a church, we've got to get rid of, of any hint of religious arrogance. It's not us versus them. It's not us inside of the church versus those outside of the church. It's not us who are Christians versus those who are not Christians. 
Really, it, it, it's, there's only two types of people. There are those who know Christ and there are no, those who don't. And our responsibility is, as people who know Christ is to make Christ known to them. That is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to invite them to come in and see who Jesus is so they can know that Jesus really is the answer. This means that as a church, as a church, we have to develop a sensitivity to the barriers that will keep someone who doesn't know Christ from listening. This means that as a church, we have to be intentional with what we're doing. This means that we do things with excellent, with excellence, that we do things to the best of our ability, that we don't want to cause a distraction to someone who is coming to, to come and see Jesus, to investigate whether Jesus can really change their life. We have got to do our best to, be, to, to prepare for that so that we don't become the distraction, so that we don't become the reason that they don't come and hear about Jesus because we have our religious arrogance or because we look at someone as being a little less than we are because they don't have their life put together and they don't follow Christ like we do. This means that when someone who looks different than you, someone who talks differently than you, someone who lives different than the way that you live, rather than expecting them to embrace your religious convictions about how to live your life, we're more concerned about welcoming them and loving them and pointing them so they can hear about Jesus, and they can investigate and see Jesus really has the ability to change my life. And the second thing about this idea to come and see is that as a believer, as a believer, every one of us has been called to make disciples. Every one of us has been called to share our faith, to talk about Jesus, and invite others into a relationship with him. This, this isn't just something that the pastor is supposed to do. This isn't just something that the leaders are supposed to do. Every one of us, if you're a Christian, God has told us we are to share our faith, invite others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I have to admit, sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Sometimes it gets a little bit hard because we start feeling like, well, what if I don't know all the answers? You know, like what if I start sharing Christ with somebody and they ask a hard question and I'm like, I, I don't know the answer. Or, or maybe you're like me, or you start talking to somebody, and then you start getting all sweaty, and you get hot and flustered, and you start tripping over your words, and you're like, man, I just, uh, I don't know what to say, and you get nervous, you know? And so, one of the easiest things that we can do is look to what Philip did to Nathaniel. Philip said, dude, Jesus is legit. Jesus is the answer. Nathaniel raised a question, and Philip says, come and see. Come and investigate. Come and check it out. See, one of the easiest things that we can do to share our faith is to say to your family and your friends, come and see. Come check it out. Come and check out this God who has changed my life. Invite them to church. Invite people to church. Invite them to your small group. Invite them to a place where they're going to be in a setting where they can hear about Jesus. Where they're going to see that Jesus has the power to change their life. That Jesus is the only way to heaven. And then don't just leave it there. Invite somebody to church and ask them, hey, what did you think? Hey, how did, how did, how did you feel about Jesus? How did you feel about God? We don't have to be overwhelmed with this idea of evangelism. It can be as simple as come, come and see, come and check it out. 
So after these disciples have had the opportunity to consider Jesus, to consider whether Jesus is truly the answer, to consider whether a relationship with Jesus will really change their life, will give them freedom, will give their life purpose and meaning. After they consider Jesus, what happens is they have to make a a decision about Jesus. And these disciples, we see that they confess Christ. They confess Christ Now, when I talk about confessing Christ and confession, I'm not talking about stepping into a booth and and confessing your sins to a priest. This is not what we're talking about. When I talk about confess, that means declaring publicly and personally that Jesus Christ is the answer. That Jesus is the Son of God. This is the kind of confession that we're seeing here in this passage. You see... As you look through this passage, you see each of the characters, they confess Christ in a different way. It started out with John the Baptist in verse 36. John the Baptist says to the disciples, behold, the Lamb of God. This was John the Baptist's confession. Hey, this is who Jesus is. He is the answer. He is the Lamb of God who has come to take the sins, to to pay for our sins. Andrew, who is one of John's disciples that Jesus invited to come and see. Look, what he, look what he, how he confesses to his brother Simon Peter in verse 41. He says, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Messiah in the Hebrew means the anointed one, which in Greek is translated as, as Christ. And so Andrew's telling his brother, he's saying, we have found the anointed one. We have found the one that we've been waiting for ever since Adam sinned in the garden at the beginning of creation. In verse 45, Philip confesses to Nathanael. He says, we have found him of whom the Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And in verse 49, after Jesus reveals himself to Nathanael, Nathanael confesses, he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You see, at some point, At some point, we have to make a decision about Jesus. At some point, we can come and investigate. We can come and see. But at some point, we have to decide, is Jesus truly the Son of God or not? Will I surrender my life to Jesus? Will I live for God or not? Look, I know that there are some of you in here. I know there are some of you in here who you've been in the stage of investigating. Is Jesus the answer? Is God real? Is God the one that I'm supposed to submit my life to? Look, as we look at next steps to following Jesus, this is the first step. This is the foundational step. Every other step that we can take in in pursuing our relationship with Jesus, whether that's serving in the church, whether that's giving in the church, whether that's uh, baptism, leadership, all those other things are pointless if we don't get this one. If we don't get the idea that we have to confess who Jesus is, that we have to surrender our lives to him. This is the first and foundational step, is that we become a Christian. It doesn't matter if you do all these other things, if you don't first confess that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is your Savior. And look, making a decision about Jesus Making a decision, you can't just say that Jesus was a good teacher. Sometimes we come into the church and we say, man, this Jesus guy, you know, he's, he's great. You know, but he's just, he's really, he's just a good teacher. He's a good moral teacher. You can't just say that. You can't just decide that. You can't just decide that Jesus is just a good model for you to follow. 
Because C.S. Lewis, he wrote some 70 years ago about this idea of just trying to decide Jesus is just a good teacher and I'll just follow him as a teacher and not as Lord. He says, Jesus, or C.S. Lewis says, you can't accept that Jesus is a moral teacher. Because a man who is merely a man, who said the source of things that Jesus said. Jesus, Jesus claimed to be the son of God. Jesus claimed to be with God in the beginning, at the creation of the world. See, a man who says these sorts of things would not be a moral teacher. He'd be a lunatic. He'd be an idiot or he'd be a liar. And so either Jesus is the son of God or else he's a madman or something else. And C.S. Lewis said this. C.S. Lewis, it's up on the screen, says, You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us be done with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The things that Jesus said about himself, we can't just say he was a good teacher because the things he said would either make him a lunatic, a liar, or Lord of all. So we have a decision to make. We, we come and we investigate Jesus, and at some point you have to make a decision. Either Jesus is the answer, or he's not. Either I will live my life for Jesus, or I won't. So the last thing that we'll see in this passage, once we confess Christ, we begin to see Jesus for who he really is. Look back at the interaction that Jesus had with Nathanael, starting in verse 47. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. See, Jesus, Jesus shows himself to be omniscient. He shows himself to be omniscient through this circumstance with Nathanael. And he says, hey, before Philip came and found you, remember what you were doing, Nathanael? Because I saw you. You were sitting under the fig tree. You were contemplating life. And he says this to Nathanael. Nathanael's like, whoa, you saw me, man. This is supernatural. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And look what Jesus says next. next. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Is that why you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you believe in me because of this, but you will see even greater things than this. And Jesus brings up this idea of heaven being opened up and having angels ascending and descending between heaven and earth. Now, this is a reference to angels ascending and descending from heaven. Probably comes from Genesis chapter 28. A story where, 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 where Jacob, one of, the, uh, one of the forefathers, Jacob had a dream. And as he's dream, he saw, he, he had a vision of heaven being opened. And there being a staircase from heaven to earth. And there was angels ascending and descending back and forth between heaven and earth. And these angels were communicating between God and man. And now, there isn't any way for us to know, but you could imply that perhaps when Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree, being a devout Jew, 
being uh, somebody who has probably memorized the book of Genesis, you could picture Nathaniel sitting there contemplating the meaning of Jacob's life, the meaning of what he just read in Genesis chapter 28. And now Jesus, here's Jesus bringing up the illustration. And really he changes that illustration. He says, no longer, no longer is it the angels who will be communicating between heaven and earth, between God and man. Now Jesus will be the means of communication between God and man, between heaven and earth. Jesus is a meeting place between heaven and earth. See, do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is saying, listen, listen, now that you have confessed me, now that you have said I am the Messiah, now that you have surrounded your life to me and said you are God and I will follow you, He's saying, now you will see me for who I really am. Because no longer is it about religion. No longer is it about religion. Now it's about a relationship. Now it's about a relationship with me because I am the one who is leading between heaven and earth. I am your mediator between God and man. I am the answer. I am your connection to God. I'm your on-star button. You push a button and I'm the one that's going to let you talk to God. I'm the voice on the other side of OnStar. He says, no longer is it about religion. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and mankind. The man Christ Jesus. See, Jesus is the way for God's message and for God's plan to be carried out on this earth. And once we look, once we consider who Jesus is, and once we surrender our life to him, Once we surrender into a relationship with him, we will experience greater things that we could ever imagine. We will see God for who he really is. God becomes your strength. God becomes your comforter. God becomes your motivation. He becomes your refuge. He becomes your answer. He becomes the source of your joy. He becomes the satisfaction. He becomes the thing that gives you purpose in life. He gives you value. He gives you strength. He gives you peace. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. And once we confess Jesus as the answer, this is what God does. He reveals himself as being all these things in our lives. And this is what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, you will see greater things than just this. He's saying, you will see Jesus. You will see God for who he truly is, the savior of mankind, the answer, the thing that gives you motivation, the thing that sustains you from here on out. You will see greater things than just this. When you confess Jesus, you will experience God in greater ways than you could ever imagine. This is what Jesus is saying to those disciples. He's saying, when you confess Christ, you will realize no longer is it about religion. Now it's about a relationship with Jesus. And when you're in that relationship with Jesus, your life will change. You will see God in new lights. You will see him as your savior. You will see him as your comforter, as your refuge, as your motivation, and as your purpose. So as we bring this message to a conclusion, there's, there's a couple of ways for us to apply this. First and foremost, if you have not come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, have you been in the stage where you've been coming and investigating? I welcome you. I am so glad you're here. Come and, and, and listen. Come and hear. Come and ask questions. Come and say, Jesus, are you really the answer? 
church, the message of Jesus Christ, is that really the, the, the message that will change the world? Because I believe wholeheartedly, yes. I believe my life has been changed by this message. Absolutely. Jesus is the answer. I want you to come and investigate. Come and see. Come and ask questions. Be a part of it. And I encourage you, if you've been in that stage for a while, can I ask you today, would you confess Christ? Would you surrender your life and say, Jesus, you are the answer. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I come into a relationship with you. And today, I'm going to take that first step and become a Christian. That first step, that next step for you, may be today to become a Christian. I invite you today. When we get to the end of the service, we're going to have a couple, when I get done speaking, we're going to have a couple of songs that we use as a response time. And I'd encourage you, if you want to surrender to Christ today, come into a relationship with him, I'd invite you, I'll be up in this front row during those couple of worship songs, I'd invite you to come forward and say, hey, pastor, today I want to be a Christian. I want to surrender my life. I want to see Jesus for who he really is. I want to confess that he is the Messiah, that he is my Savior. For some of you, for some of you, you need to walk away from this message and say, you know, I've taken that step. I've taken that step. But now what I need to do is I need to invite other people into that step. I need to invite somebody else to come and choose Christ. I need to look at the people that God has placed around me in my school, in my workplace, in my home, even in my family. And I need to say, hey, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus change lives. Come and see what God is doing in in my life. Come and see what God is doing in the life of, of Restoration Church. Come and see. Come investigate. Come and see that Jesus is the answer. And I encourage you. Some of you say, man, I, I've made this step. I've, I'm already there. Can I tell you, every one of us, you might look and say, man, this message is nothing in it for me. But every one of us has a next step to take. Every one of us. And I invite you to come back over the next couple of weeks. As we go through and we try to determine every one of us, we should walk away during this series and say, man, I've got some growth to do. I've got a step to take if I'm going to continue to follow Jesus and see Jesus continue to change my life. Would you pray with me? God, I'm thankful for this opportunity to be here today. I'm thankful for this church. God, I'm thankful that the church isn't just a building. It isn't just an a, a, a organization, but God, it's people. And God, I'm so thankful that you have allowed me to be a part of these people. God, there's no place I would rather be than right here with your people. And God, I pray as we look through these, uh, th- this idea of discipleship, as we look at these next steps, God, I pray that every one of us would look at our, our own hearts and our own lives and say, God, what step would you have me to take? What is it that I need to do so I can continue to grow in my relationship with you? And God, I pray for any of those here today who they say, man, I've been wrestling, I've been coming and seeing about Jesus. God, I pray today that they would have the faith, that they would have the courage to step forward and say, Pastor, Pastor, I want to be a Christian. I want to come into a relationship with you. God, I pray that they would see you as being the answer, that they would see you as being their savior, that you are the only way to heaven. And they would say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I come into a relationship with you. God, I pray that they would have that faith to step forward and say, pastor, would you pray with me? God, I pray for those in here today who are still investigating. 
God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them just as you revealed yourself to Nathaniel. That they would be able to look and to see that, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the King. God, I pray for those of us in here today that we would take this as a serious call to to call others to Christ. That we would say, hey, come and see that Jesus is the answer. I pray that when we talk about evangelism, it isn't just something that we think the pastor does, but that God, every one of us would be involved in making you known throughout this entire city. That you would be honored and glorified. That more people would come into a relationship with you and that their lives would be changed by you, because God, you're the only thing that can truly change our lives. God, I pray for us. God, you know what we're dealing with this week. You know what our week looked like. You know the burdens that we bring in today. You know exactly what's going on. And God, I pray that as we have this time now to respond through worship, that God, you would speak to us. That God, for those of us that need comfort, that God, you would be our comfort right now. For those of us that need uh, courage, that God, you would be our courage right now. For those of us that just need to cry out to you and receive your love and your grace and your mercy, that, God, we would just cry out to you and say, God, I surrender to you. God, would you meet me here now? And, God, I pray that we can just close our eyes and worship and praise you for who you are, that you are the Messiah, that you are the answer, that you are the only thing that can truly change our lives. God, we love you. We praise you and we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.